welcome to a new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. Uh, a lot of our listeners are aware that I recently moved into a new team to lead a team in productivity engineering at Netflix. And I thought it'd be really great to really talk about what does productivity engineering do and really needing a lot of help in that area because I'm still learning. I've leaned on two experts, Catherine Kohler and Andy Glover, who are both on productivity engineering at Netflix. Andy and Catherine, can you give brief introductions of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? So my name's Andy Glover. Uh, I uh, run Productivity Engineering at Netflix. I've been here for uh, coming up on seven and a half years. What else besides favorite drink? Who you are, what you do, I think you've covered. And then okay. what's your favorite happy hour beverage? My favorite happy hour beverage is uh, a red wine from California. Is there any like specific, like a Pinot Noir, any, uh, anything? Yeah, so I like cabs and Syrahs. I'm Catherine Kohler. Uh, I have been at Netflix almost five months now. Uh, I report to Andy. I know uh, I get to work with such a great group of people there. And I am running the not yet to be renamed develop org that handles all sorts of local development and in bootstrapping, um, adding security, adding real ease of use around getting up and going at Netflix so that our customers can focus on business logic. And what I am tucking into right now is called June Shine, which is a hard kombucha. And this is blood orange mint. So I had a box of this delivered to my house a couple of days ago, no signature required. Oh, signature required for those of you who are under eight, uh, 21. But yeah, that's that's what I'm doing today. Right on. I feel like anytime I've had alcohol delivered, the signature is required. Like they have like left my house without dropping it off if I'm not there to sign for it. So you're you're lucky in that sense. Let's also <laughs> give introductions of today's panelists. Stacy, you want to start? Stacy London. I'm a senior front end engineer at Trello. Jim Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. And what did we decide today's keyword is? Automation. Automation. Automation, which is likely going to come up maybe a couple times and uh, we will all have our drinks. All right. I, I figured a good way to start the episode is really just hearing from each of you. Maybe it's not even in capacity of work, but probably is, is like, what makes each of you productive? What are things that help you be productive? Well, I guess as an engineer, I could say for me, it's anything that's like, I'll come to say it right away. Automates away things. Ah, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> Manually. <laughs> so things like, I don't know, making, you know, build processes really seamless and easy or um, code quality checks or things that anything that doesn't have to in quite, you know, stop with a human, another human has to intervene and do something. So that to me, it really, I think helps get your code from being written out to production as fast as possible. Moving into uh, manager land, it's really about optimizing your time and no longer automating anything that you're working on. Maybe this uh, is a bad word. Cheers. <laughs> bad word. I know. So I've, I've started using Clockwise, which is a great tool for moving my calendar around and creating consolidated blocks of focus time. And if I have that focus time, I'm a procrastinator. So I like to be date driven and have time to just get really deep into what I'm doing. 
and not pop my head up. And then I also put things in front of me like carrots. I will not do this until I get through this work. And so that keeps me productive and it keeps me focused because otherwise I tend to be all over the place. And you can get so randomized with time as a manager, as somebody who's juggling myriad things like household, home, kids, work, et cetera. Uh, I really have to focus during that time. And that's what makes me productive. Yeah. Similarly, I, uh, it's blocks of time and being really disciplined about, you know, uh, an hour here, two hours here. Uh, I used to feel guilty about blocking off time where I, I wouldn't uh, go to a meeting or, or accept meeting invites. But now I realize that that is my productivity gain. I think another thing is exercise from the standpoint of like some sort of release so that you can focus when you do have those blocks of time. I know if I haven't exercised or done anything physical in a while, like I, I think I just go crazy, especially in it's I think heightened in COVID. So yeah, exercise and then blocks of time where I can focus, which is no different by the way, than when I was a programmer or, you know, previous to people management, I was developing. It's like, I always wanted those blocks of time where I could be heads down and not be interrupted. And it's same for, you know, I guess any probably profession. Yeah, I think I'm going to echo a lot is just having that dedicated time, but also somewhat time to step away too, right? There's time when you just need to think. And so it might be going for a walk. I'm not great at doing that or making sure that I actually find the time to do it. But when I have done it, I've almost felt like I've been in productive mode because like maybe I'm thinking through a problem ahead of time, which it kind of feels counterintuitive. It's like, no, I need that time to actually solve the problem. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes stepping away from the keyboard has been really good. I also love anything that can just automate my life uh, in general. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> and Cheers. that can be from tools that do it on for the computer, but even just things, just even like, I love like smart home things, like just little optimizations that I just don't have to think about anymore. I'm always a big fan of like offloading that. So those are things that I do. Also time of day, I find I'm very productive in the morning. And so that's also not an optimal time that people like to start working. So I can find I get like a lot done then versus by the end of the day, I'm, yeah, I'm checked out, I'm done. Uh, so yeah. that, that's even finding the right time of day can be really helpful. Do you know what people say that being multi, if you multitask, you're more productive, but it's not actually true because you're context switching all the time. Yep. I find that I can do two things at once better. So if I'm running or biking safely, uh, I'm listening to an audiobook at the same time. I can get through some of the, the sort of professional reading that I'm trying to do. Um, or if I'm knitting, rage knitting, which I like to do, I pick that up during the pandemic. Um, I also listen to like leadership books and things like that at the same time, which make me twice as productive. And I guess I could turn it up to one and a half or two X, but I can't listen to people talk like chipmunks. It's just too distracting. Yeah. So can you ride a bike with uh, listening to something? <laughs> if I have one ear bud in, I'm fine. I will not go to earbuds because that's okay. just dangerous. And I need to make sure that I have hear through on and I'm, you know, not anywhere super, super populated. Do not do this at home. <laughs> that, that's fair. And I, I will, I like to listen to podcasts or books while I'm walking or doing that type of stuff too. Is That I feel like is the healthy multitasking. When I'm in meetings and seeing Slack messages and Twitter and all that, that is not multitasking. That is literally like, distraction city and I, I'm not mm -hmm. paying attention and that, that's frustrating. Right. 
I think more so in the pandemic. Cause when I went to meetings in person, I would take like a notebook just so that I right. could pay attention and not have the computer in front of me. So it's, that's been something I've tried very hard to like, do not disturb. And, and that's, that's helped a little bit too. Absolutely. So what does it mean to have a company that has a dedicated productivity engineering team? And I know Stacey, I think Alassian even has some form of this as well. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask like, if we consider, cause they don't have, there's no team or like group called that in Atlassian, but there's definitely like, like platform teams or I was previously, uh, previous to Trello, I was working on the front end platform team. So we were working on tooling that helped build things that helps help developers be more efficient and get their jobs done easier. So I, it's, it's, I don't know if it's the same, but it sounds like it could be. It is definitely the same thing. You just need better branding. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Put a little productivity in front of that and you're, you're good to go. <laughs> well, and, and Netflix productivity engineering is inside of platform engineering. And what's interesting, it, you know, given our previous conversation about, you know, productivity tips, it's funny when I, I was in a situation um, at Netflix in a meeting where I mentioned that I was with productivity engineering and I was with some, some business folks and they were like, oh, that's really interesting. We want to learn more about what you do and how you can help us. And, uh, and I had to explain to them that, oh, we, 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 we're, you know, our target audience, our developers, not, you know, uh, you know directors uh, seeking to make, you know, contracts with, let's say studios. And they were just <laughs> yearning for like, but our, you know, I need more product. I need to be more productive. It, it was just kind of amusing that uh, I think all of us yearn for, you know, help there. But uh, in our case, we're squarely focused on developers. It's true. Yeah. And, and what does it mean for Netflix to have a productivity team? It means that we help our, our technical people get to their jobs faster and do their jobs more efficiently and effectively. So they can spend all of their time thinking about business logic, right? Whereas we're consolidating all of the bootstrapping, we're packaging up great end-to-end -end experiences so that you know, with a couple flips, flicks of the switch, uh, people can get up and running. And that's the ideal state. It's a little more complicated in practice. Uh, we do actually support some non-technical folks within Netflix because we also have with Ryan's team, source control management, but also Confluence, documentation, things like that. And so we do have a large group of non-technical folks that we also support with our offerings. I like that you said the target audience though is developers because I think that that's like, it can start to get muddy if you start to try and make everyone productive. I mean the goal is to make people more productive, but I think the the focus is really helpful. Yeah. And, and Catherine hit the, the nail on the head with, you know, business logic in that, you know, every corporation at the end of the day uh, wants, you know, to produce value to whatever end users. In our case, it's our members, you know, member joy, ideally as quickly as possible. And so from a productivity engineering standpoint, our goal is to remove a lot of those obstacles so that developers uh, can be productive, you know, on day zero. Uh, and that product, you know, that productivity, I'm putting air quotes around it, could be, you know, getting a feature out to, you know, production, ideally on day zero. And that feature would then, you know, obviously make our members even more happy with the experience of, uh, of working, you know, either watching Netflix or working with Netflix from a studio standpoint. How would you best describe a productivity engineering team being successful? Like obviously making engineers productive is a good thing, but like, I'm curious when, how should we be thinking about that as like, what's, what's the goal or how do we know that we're being successful? Things should just work, 
right? And it shouldn't require a lot of handholding. Um, things should be discoverable. They should make sense. They should get you set up and where you want to be with all of the necessary accoutrement, like security, scale, testability built in. And then once they're up and running, anytime we make a change to that underlying system, they shouldn't have to go through an enormous amount of pain to update, right? So we should be holding their hands or, or making migrations more seamless and possible for folks. Um, I liken it to being a waiter at a really fancy restaurant. The meal just happens. It's not about like, oh man, this is cold. This is terrible. They're interrupting me all the time. What the heck is going on? You leave feeling good about the experience and you kind of have some impression that people were helping you in the background, but you could still focus on your conversations with the people you're hanging out with. And it's just an overall great experience. We're, we're that support staff, right? We're, we're the folks that are sort of building that great experience for people. I really like that analogy because it's really like great services when you don't really think about it. It's when it's bad, you're like, oh, that was bad oh, service. So it's like, <laughs> I, I like that. That's really good. By the way, Catherine is the queen of analogy. I, I suspect that should have been like the drinking thing is like when she makes it. I think that's going to be the first of uh, uh, a great many through this. Uh, queen of analogies and mixed metaphors. Oh boy, we're in trouble. <laughs> You know, I think it's also worth pointing out that productivity engineering and Netflix is somewhat of a new uh, development in that. So we've always been, or I should say, there's always been a platform team, but productivity engineering as a formalized organization uh, was only created, I think, I want to say in the last three years. The developer experience at Netflix, I think in the beginning was, was the amazing restaurant where like you got like, you know, a five course meal that was just absolutely delicious. But as the company has grown in terms of scale, uh, complexity, people, members, that five course meal is still, I guess it's still five, I'm going to kill this analogy, but like the break in between, like you're hungry in between the, the, you know, the waiter bringing that meal. And so your experience at the end of the day isn't all that great because you're like, I'm hungry and, and, and I had to wait forever to get that other you know, thing. So in the last three years, we, we recognize maybe we should formalize a, a, a group around productivity because there's some low hanging fruit there and that our developers at the end of the day aren't as productive as they could be. So when we think about the experiences, it's, it's you know, how can we connect our products and make the, uh, let's say the, you know, the transition through the SDLC a lot easier. Catherine, you know, introduced herself as running the, you know, develop. Uh, org, we think of the SDLC as three pieces. There's like local development, that's everything in Catherine's org. And then there's delivery. Like how do you get that thing, whatever you're working on into an environment? And then there's like observability after that. Like how do you know it's running and what do you do when it actually breaks? Those domains, we have just deep, 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 you know, experience and expertise there uh, with amazing tools like Newt or Spinnaker or Atlas. Uh, but we never thought about like connecting them in these experiences as she mentioned and so there's the low-hanging fruit is like making that that process through those domains easier and there's a lot of work to be done and i'm sure we'll hit on it but uh the the evolution to get to productivity engineering i think is, is instructive all right andy you, you said a couple things there that you're gonna have to define like what is spinnaker what is atlas what is newt so i'll start with newt so newt is uh it stands for netflix 
I, you know what? I'm so guilty as like, I know what something is like, you know, once you figure out the acronym and you're like, I can explain what that tool is, but you're like, I can't remember what all the words are in the acronym. Yeah. That's just, it. yeah. Netflix workflow toolkit or tool, but uh, it's a command line tool that essentially uh, attempts to bootstrap kind of that, the, your local development experience. Spinnaker is our CI CD platform. So how do you build something and ultimately put it somewhere? whether it be, you know, uh, any artifact that you produce, you know, via Newt. And then Atlas is our telemetry platform. So, you know, you want to get metrics from your application, your library, um, Atlas has got it for you. Which speaking of which I've used Atlas many times to debug things or just like, especially when you have a production issue, that's the first place you're going is to try and get that, those metrics. Stacy, I'm curious too, is like, uh, there's similar tools within Atlassian too, but like, does a lot of this, when you were on the platform developer team, was this a lot of similarities between that? Well, Atlassian builds a lot of like productivity tools. I guess. Oh, weird. What are they, this. what do they build? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we have, we have some of those. <laughs> yeah. We've got like CI, CD, you know products and stuff. So like pipelines, you know, doing the getting code out um, to production. Um, there's also a lot of tooling that, you know, we don't necessarily build in-house. There's observability tools or, you know, things that help you monitor logs easily. We're using, you know, industry tools for that, like Splunk and, and Sentry for errors. And those kind of tools are, some of those are, you know, bought, but there are like inbuilt, you know, in-house built stuff too. Like we're doing, um, as an example on the front end, platform team, there's uh, this concept of like a mono repo. So a lot of, a lot of code in a single repository, a lot of, you know, multi, multiple apps, multiple projects. And so there's a lot of custom tooling around that to make that work well and be efficient, uh, make it so that you can work uh, efficiently as a, as an engineer in this large, in this large repo. And I think that's the case in some other um, bigger companies that have these, this concept of a mono repo you generally have to do a lot of custom tooling around that to be productive. I feel like you're almost the most legitimate person among us when it comes to productivity, because you work on a productivity <laughs> team for a productivity company, where whereas Netflix's output sort of drives down productivity, right? Like we are the procrastinator tool. So I'm just, I'm just giving you some props here for being a productivity person. Uh, as I think about it a little bit. Yeah. I can only be productive if I take breaks. And when I take breaks, I watch Netflix. So they feel oh, good each other. Oh, it just, it's just a nice little ecosystem there. I love it. I think the whole productivity, the idea of it is fascinating because especially as, as we all mature as engineers, we understand engineering isn't just code. You know, you graduate school, you get out there and you're like, you see coders in the movies, you're like, what is it? It's like, oh, this is multiple screens and the two keyboards, maybe three keyboards, who knows? And you know, you're just cranking out code and all this stuff. But we get older and we mature, our organization mature, and we realize actually there's two parts of engineering. There's coding and then there's operations. And operations is oftentimes the, the dirty word. Like people don't want to do that. They look at documentation or tests or making the developer experience better as part of that's someone else's job. Like I, I'm here to code, but increasingly, especially at Netflix, we're seeing like, actually, no, there's a lot of value in making 10 engineers more efficient rather than you just cranking out one line, a few lines of code. The whole area is just fascinating. And as an industry, we probably need to focus a bit more on it because mm -hmm. we spend so much time and every talk I've ever seen is on 
you know, what's the latest design system? What's the latest, what's the latest front end tool? And what's, what are the browsers doing? But no one says like, Hey, here are these steps we implemented. And our team is now three times more productive than they were last year, because I don't know, we started documenting our processes or we opened an internal stack overflow or things like that. You, you don't really hear that much about it because it's, it's not sexy. Uh, it's not directly you shipping code. It's about making others more efficient. And that's just not conversations we're having. So I, I'm I, I, I think it's a really good topic. I love what you're saying there, Jem. And I think about it is it's interesting too, is like, we're talking about companies, Netflix, Atlassian, fairly large companies, and they have actually now have teams dedicated to this. I've been in companies where it's very small and you always have maybe like one or two engineers that are just passionate and they just take that on. And that like, they're amazing for doing that. Like, they're just like, they're taking that on as an extra thing, but it's really cool when companies start to say like, no, like this is a thing and we need to have more dedication and we are getting value out of this for like, we're, we're able to scale. And that's essentially what's happening, which is really cool too. So hard question or throw it to, to the group. At what stage should a company think about implementing some sort of productivity organization? Because I, I would say a 10 person company, you probably need to, you know, make sure the lights stay on at hundred, hundred people, maybe 500. Where, where's that line? Or is there even a clear line? I wonder, is it, is it related to the uh, product kind of maturity or trajectory? Uh, only from the standpoint of, um, cause I was thinking about what Ryan said, you know, when you're in a small company, there's always someone really passionate about that. And previous to Netflix, I was at a startup and uh, I think maybe I was that passionate person that was like building that productivity stuff, but it was like, it was very narrow-minded and kind of focused on like, let's say certain aspects of what I found painful. Once a product kind of gets into people's hands and you've got the demands of like, you know, it's no longer beta. It's actually like, let's say it's legitimately being used and it's scaling from that standpoint. I think we started to hit some kind of walls and I, I wonder, you know, uh, productivity went down, right? Cause you had to be aware of all these things, so to speak. And, and we should come back to what does productivity mean in the context of development. But uh, I suspect even that startup and that was fewer than 20 people could have used maybe not a formal organization to your question, but at least someone like formally looking at like, how can we ensure that we're still acting like a startup and moving fast, but aware of, as you pointed out, operations start to make things a lot more difficult. Uh, you know, once you get to that stage. I agree with that. And and I think that at that 20 person, and this is 20 person tech org, not 20 person company, right? Like 20 person mm -hmm. tech org, you start to buy, you don't build, you start to buy, you start to take a look around and see where, where the scale is and where that infrastructure is that you can take off the shelf and maybe modify. Um, but I think that if you don't do that, you have all of these folks within the individual teams doing this glue work, right? Thinking about how does it all go together? How do we do automation? How do we, you know, make sure that our systems cheers. are cheers. cheers? Sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> how do we make sure that all the and you don't want to do that in a silo because then you have a bunch of different frameworks that are half baked coming out of these groups, and your overall efficiency just takes a nosedive. Right. And so people have to be really judicious about, you know, what is that last responsible moment before they start investing in this more central team. Uh, but I think I, I love what you said, Jim, about ops and development and that mashup. If people start thinking more proactively about their own productivity and how they can force multiply, like that is a serious leg up on on the usual route, the usual route to development. 
maybe it's not like the number of people, like even, you know, like I like Catherine, you said like 20 people, that seems like a, where you have maybe someone more dedicated to it. But I think it's also too, is when like I've in the past have created something where it's like, it's helped me in some way, like it took a pain point off of me and then like others start using it. And that's when it starts being like, do I have to support this now? And now that's a tax. <laughs> like, it's like, I think when it starts to be that, when something's been created and someone's having to invest in the support and iterating on it, that's when it's like, maybe that needs to be a bit of a role. Cause I know there's times where I've built something that's like janky. It does what I need to be done, but then others start using it. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't exactly how I intended it to work. And yeah. I don't have the bandwidth to build it out to scale. Yeah. Or maybe like you get, you have like two teams, you're big enough that you have like two engineering teams working on something. And there's like the passionate person on each team that wants to do productivity stuff. And like two people start to like try and automate something at the same time that they're both trying to solve the same problem. Like at that point, it's like, oh, cheers. maybe we should have like, cheers, <laughs> cheers, cheers. <laughs> maybe then it makes sense to like, oh, maybe we should have, you know, one person focus on this more and try and solve it for both. Yeah, but that uh, off the shelf solution could just be your Jira cloud, right? Like you, you, I mean, you don't yes. have to have this heavy lift. <laughs> and so Stacy, what size teams do you see people adopting a Trello or a Jira cloud instance, or, you know, these, these productivity tools that are often overlooked because it's not something that people roll themselves. It's, it's so hard to say, like, even like, um, when I was, I was working at a smaller, well, not that small, the startup that I was at before I came to Atlassian was about 80, I think hundred people, but like the engineering group was like 20, 30. And even then we were using like the full stack of Atlassian server products to, because it was just, you know, helped connect everything and make everyone more productive. So even at that small of a group of engineers, like that stuff was still helpful. Trello is interesting. That's like productivity for any like one person to, mm -hmm. to big companies that are using it so that's kind of an interesting uh it's more it's a little more unique in that in that respect yeah i think like i mean i've definitely even seen uh, mars isn't on today but i know that she has like some of the coolest trello setups for like her <laughs> her own personal life it, it's it's really cool and i think it's i was always going to say like trello makes sense when there's like two people right? Like the minute you add a second person that it's, that makes a lot of sense as a tool, but she proved me wrong is like, no, there's like a lot of cool things that just as organizing your life can, and can be in a tool like that. So that is funny. And I think it's important, uh, especially I, I, we have a lot of listeners or friend and happy hour regulars who are earlier in their career, or just getting started. Uh, it's important when you're looking at a company to evaluate the leadership in, in this lens, there's many ways to evaluate a leader and where you want to go. Well, one of them is, do they respect the productivity? Do they understand that mythical, you know, the mythical man month, which is butts and seats equal more code, which is not at all true. I've seen a lot of that and some, some symptoms of a unhealthy culture is that belief that if we just hire more engineers, more stuff will get done, which of course is not how it works at all. What I look for personally is people that do respect that in terms of, okay, my engineers aren't. We're not, we're not getting to the point where we want to be. We're not building features in this instance as fast as we want to. What are the blockers on that? And historically what I've seen is people are like, oh, the engineers aren't working long enough. They just need to work a few more hours every night. And <laughs> again, this, this, the antithesis of productivity versus actually it turns out, you know, they need their own space. That's really what they need. They're, they're right next to sales and sales is on the phone all day. 
and the engineers are getting distracted or something like that. I, I really think it's a valuable look at an organization if you think about that lens about the leader's job is to help you be more productive. They can't do the code for you, but what they can do is clear away all that, all the extra process and tooling that doesn't work and cruft that gets in the way of you and doing your job effectively. Yeah. I had a general manager ask me to cut my team's estimates in half so we could get twice as much work done. <laughs> and that works, right? Clearly, totally that was worked. a great idea. I was like, oh my God, thank you so much for making that recommendation. Wow, I can see why you got this job. You're amazing. No, and that also goes to like uh, how you, uh, what you measure right. And, and, and oftentimes I think with productivity, the uh, people are looking for the outcome, right? Like I, to, to Jim's point, like whatever, we want to ship more features faster, whatever it is. And while I think that might be the most likely is the end goal, but like thinking about if you start measuring towards that, it has awful consequences as Catherine just pointed out. And so the real, you know, something we, I wouldn't say we struggle with it, but early on we, we had a lot of debates on like, what are, what are the productivity metrics we want to track? Like, how do we actually go and say, Hey, this is a great idea. And look, we've changed. Uh, this metric, uh, for what it's worth, I said that the organization's been around for three years. Uh, we still haven't actually settled on a series of metrics that we think are super important, which I think goes to the heart of the matter of like, at the end of the day, the company wants developers focused on, you know, producing value to our members. And there's a suspicion that they could be doing it faster, better, cheaper, whatever. But we actually don't know what that baseline is. It's just anecdotal that we think they're less than less than productive. And so we got to figure out what the what the baseline is, and then show over time that we've you know made that metric better. And that's yeah, that's kind of the open question. It's definitely not lines of code and, and other. Things. Thank you for calling it out. That is a not one or like commits. Like I have heard of some companies measuring commits to like developer productivity. And I'm like, we're rewarding the wrong thing. Like, I'll just start, yeah. you know, every single line I write is a commit, commit, commit. Like, right. look how productive I am. Oh, I, I am curious, though, when you started talking about those, Andy, like, what were metrics that come to mind that could be useful to monitor for productivity? Well, and so, you know, my background previous to productivity engineering was in the delivery domain. And so one metric we were, you know, obviously that was key to us in the beginning was deployments. Like, we're deploying more per day. So therefore, engineers at Netflix must be highly productive. Uh, and we could actually show it over time. You know, we started at 2,000 and within time we were at 4,000. Then we actually just stopped counting it. But then if you dig in deeper, it's like, well, are those 4,000 deployments to production? I mean, they could be other environments. Um, how many rollbacks? Like, do you yeah. want 4,000 deployments mm, yep, with 1,900 yeah. rollbacks, you know? <laughs> So uh, it turned out, you know, maybe deployments isn't the best metric for productivity. Uh, and I think what we've, I think, you know, Catherine, we've talked about this. I think what we largely believe it is, and it, and it doesn't have a good name. Actually, for a long time, we thought it was velocity. But turns out, yeah, velocity is problematic in that, like, well, what if, um, you know, I'm part of a team, maybe I'm in like a, you know, a, a financial application that's dealing with PII or whatever, you know, basically people's money. Um, I, I have to run very long tests to ensure that I don't mess that up because the consequence of messing it up is, is you know, detrimental to the business. So I may you know, be able to produce a feature like integrate a new billing you know, partner, but then to test it, it's going to take hours or days or months. 
And so is my velocity then like a month to get that into, you know, in front of users, as opposed to maybe on the UI team, they can put it out in a day. And so we, we actually started talking and then there's lead time, right? Um, so the business comes to, you know, an engineering group and says, we want, you know, the, the green button on the top left. And at the end of the day, the business just wants to like, they want that in, in production tomorrow or today. Right. So it's that, but there's that lead time for everything it, Jem alluded to is like before coding, there's like a, you know, a bunch of conversations and like, you know, maybe some design and then eventually it hits a, you know, a developer who actually is going to put that green button. And then there's everything after that we just talked about. So lead time is factor in there, but velocity is likely not it. Uh, and so at this point, the working, you know, thing that Catherine and I've been talking about is, uh, and Ryan, uh, is essentially if we could get a baseline for how long it takes a developer when they show up at Netflix to push to production or put a feature in front of an end user, how's that? Let, get away from the delivery part. Um, if we could, if we knew what that was, then there's something we could, uh, put, and that ignores lead time, but then we could measure it and then say, okay, like right now across the company, let's say it's two days and our goal is to get it to like, you know, the first day or something like that. But that's a working theory. And I, I think we'll likely either get proven wrong or learn a bunch of lessons as we start to manage, uh, measure that more concretely. Yeah, yeah. That decrease in cycle time and that, that uh, also customer satisfaction, right? Yep. You have a couple of really nicely worded questions that you ask people consistently through time and you sort of, you know, correct for good days and bad days, but really pull that information in and figure out like, are we reducing your toil? When you think about using our tooling, does that put a happy face on, <laughs> on you? Or are you like, oh, here we go again, right? Well, that I goes back to really like your, yeah, it's, yeah. You, you mentioned experience and that's exactly it. It's like, yeah, couldn't agree more. I also like the onboarding factor of like an engineer jumping in is like, a, there's so many factors, which it, it's hard. You're, you've got this flood of information coming at you. And I even think back to, I'll use gems first day or a couple first days at Netflix, getting set up on the environment. He ran into this like weird issue that was like so bizarre, but it, it costs like, I remember helping with that. It was like half a day just to track down this one, like really weird issue. And funny enough is I, if I remember correctly, Alex Liu, who is now in the productivity <laughs> engineering uh, group, which is in Catherine's team, who ended up helping us solve that. But like those types of things that delayed his productivity by hours or almost a full day, just because this one little issue. And so if you can make that to get like that much easier, that's, I think that's a really good uh, way to measure some yeah. of that early onboarding. And taking a look at our support volume too, right? Like how many requests are coming in for people and what are the nature of those requests? Is it table stakes or is it like really tricky, you know, like 1% questions? You can tell how well you're doing as a productivity org simply through that window. Time it takes to get set up with your development environment. And then once it is running, how long does it take for the build? Let's say you make a change for, you know, whatever tooling you're using, say, you know, let's say it's doing a Webpack build or something. How long does that take to happen? And so how long are developers just sitting there waiting while that happens? And then multiply that out times, you know, their whole day times X number of engineers. You can start to get like some numbers there. Like, oh, if we made, you know, the build time much more instantaneous, we're saving, you know, thousands of developer hours, you know over time. Mm -hmm. so those kind of metrics seem healthy because it's like 
there's nothing bad with that being faster. Oh, and that's something you can easily track too. Like yeah. when a build kicks up, build kicks off to when it's done. And then you can start to really pick at like, why is this slow? And you can start to figure out why it is maybe causing that and fix it. And then start to see that come down, which is that that's a valid point too. Right. And then also really having a healthy culture on your team so that people are not trying to gamify these metrics. <laughs> these metrics are a tool to help you help the customer and to understand how effective we are being at our job, right? Don't over-index on this one thing and then just go super hard at it and then think like, I'm done. Uh, it, it's, it is just a tool, just like everything else. One thing, you know, with build times and, you know, let's say uh, build our deployment frequency is we categorize those as pro proxy metrics that gave a signal of like productivity in a certain area. But again, the bigger picture was cycle time. Uh, um, you know, if your build time is, if you speed that up by like whatever, you know, it used to be five minutes and now it's two seconds. That's a win in that domain, but then it turns out, but it actually, it's deployments that's the big, it takes two hours to get the thing into production. So like, what, you know, let's, let's look there as well. And uh, Catherine, Eddie, you, you both mentioned this and it's underrated, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention it again. You ask developers their sentiment on their own productivity, which I, is, is totally missed by so many people because you're like, oh, Stacy, we built this new tool and it interacts with this whiz bang tool and you deploy in seconds. Don't you feel great about it? And Stacy would say, like, no, I didn't know about it. I don't know how to use it. The interface is confusing. And that happens so often because we built all these great tooling and we have this process and you're like, it's beautiful. We are done. We can, we can go on vacation now. And it turns out developers aren't any more productive. They're actually more frustrated because now there's six tools to do something. And if you had just gone out and asked them to start with, how do you feel? What's your sentiment about developing within my organization? And that like right there will cut to the heart of it because <laughs> engineers, when it comes to coding, will be very honest. And if something's blocking them, they will tell you very quickly. I think a lot of Larger companies don't like to do that because it's more work. It's much easier to measure commits or deploy time or pull requests or uh, yeah, lines of code written because those are discrete metrics. And you're like, oh, we're down 33%. We must be doing our job or something like that. When it turns out, actually, people are just you know writing less code or they're shipping more often, even though it's more bugs, things like that. So I, I think that's really important is to remember the human side, the operational side in in all of these when you when it comes to metrics. And the coolest part about being a, a productivity engineering group is that your customers are not captive. I don't know what the right word is. That sounds <laughs> bad word, but like fish in a barrel, fish <laughs> in a barrel. Yeah. Yeah. You have easy access to them. You're like, they're the engineers working at your same company. So like, yep. so what a cool opportunity to be able to like go do usability studies on them or watch them or um, ask them and get, you know, feedback instead of like, customers, you know, that are out in the wild, you don't have that kind of access to. So it's a cool, it's kind of a different way of working than versus like working on product and customer facing. Absolutely. Things. Yeah, no, I think like that was absolutely what I wanted to say, Stacey. I love that you said that because it's, it's like you have this unique perspective to actually go talk to your customer versus when you're building like a large product that's being shipped to, I mean, you can try and talk to your customers, but it is not, it's an, it's a fool's errand. You can't do that. And so, but like you literally can go to this person who's in your company and ask them how things are going. I think that yeah. is definitely a metric to use. We are undertaking customer surveys of 200 
of Netflix uh, developers, and that's 10% of our technical workforce right there, hmm. right? And we're in the middle of it right now, and we're encouraging all of our developers to sit in on these interviews and hear from the horse's mouth, fish in a barrel, horse, whatever, whatever zoo animal you, you pick at the moment. Horse in a barrel. Three, I know. Horse in, horse in a barrel. Thank you for my mixed metaphor. Um, like they're eye-opening, right? Like overall, yeah, I have a really good experience. Uh, do you use any of our stuff? No, it was too hard to use. So I, I stopped using it. And so we rolled our own. And that's one example, right? And that's really hard to hear, but so valuable for us to figure out what to prioritize on to make you know these these folks lives easier well and i think there's a lesson learned here that i think would be great to share uh it highlights you know again the investment in productivity engineering is, is relatively new at netflix um and it also speaks to like every company has like you know the person or people that are highly interested in like making developers lives easier uh, every company I've ever been at, there's always someone that's looking to like modify this to make it, you know, more easy and whatnot. And Netflix has been doing that from day one. Uh, we have like amazing developers that have built like just massively cool systems that ultimately, you know, facilitate, you know, making Netflix what it is today. And one cultural premise that Netflix is this idea, from, you know, decentralized or like, uh, you know, uh, loosely coupled, highly aligned. And so what happened over the years is uh, you have these various products and going back to like the three domains I talked about with productivity, at least we look at the world from develop, deliver, operate, or excuse me, observe. Um, you had these engineering teams in those domains building, you know, and uh, productivity tools and things for engineers. And they would actually go to the engineers and say, hey, is this thing helpful? Is it useful? And they would say, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is this is good. Thank you. And then we'd like keep doing that. And the 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 kind of aha moment occurred, sadly, uh, in in the near uh, past, recent past, I should say, where we, rather than asking from a siloed standpoint, like, does this thing do your thing for you? Is we and and Catherine hit on it. It's what's this experience like when you come to Netflix, and your whole day spent you know working on features what how is that working for you and it was this aha moment when we realized has a, a huge room for improvement in that they you know a developer would be in this thing and they'd get their job done and maybe they were happy maybe they weren't and if they weren't you know they let the, that team know and so that team optimized that thing and then the developer would, would then jump over to this thing and it was the same process repeated you know end time but no one was looking at the overall experience of like from you know whatever when you show up at work and then when you finally decide to go home how productive are you and there was a massive gap there and so uh you know back to the jem's earlier question about when should a company uh you know look at formalizing productivity maybe a, a, another point to make is that when you think about productivity look at it from uh the the, the standpoint of like a developer's day or their life cycle not in these silos and sadly, that's what we missed as as as, a, as an engineering organization and platform is that we were so hyper focused individual silos that we never asked the like the basic question of like the entire thing together. So that's what we're highly focused on, and that's why we've zeroed in on the experience because we know the experience is choppy, and we can make it better if we you know if we start asking at that level. What are some of the challenges of being a productivity based engineering team? What are some of the challenges? 
Coolness factor is tough. I mean, walking around with that much <laughs> swagger. You have to be really humble. You have to be humble. Oh, wait, was this a real? Okay, yes. I, I actually like that response. It's great. <laughs> the scale of the thing, it's its tough. How do you run a lean team and meet the needs of all of your customers? Um, so you have to be pretty ruthless in your prioritization. Uh, you have to think really strategically about what you want to go after, what you invest in. And we want to help everybody, but sometimes we can't, right? Because some things are very far off the paved path and we'll just end up thrashing the team if we if we keep supporting. Um, yeah. So I would say that that push-pull of what do we support, what do we not support, how do we go after the right thing, how do we place bets in the right places that will pay off down the road, how do we build a nimble company that can adopt and address things like moving from streaming to studio, right? How do we not just pigeonhole ourselves? So I think that's really challenging, but I think that's also where all the fun and the opportunity is as well. And the leisure suits are pretty cool. So <laughs> <laughs> to build on that, I think, yeah, the challenges around metrics. I mean, everything we've talked about, I think one thing also that we are, um, leaning heavily into and learning how to uh, embrace is like product management. Uh, again, uh, people want to work on productivity engineering teams are naturally like the person that the startup that was building in any ways, they want to help other people. They're highly empathetic. And, um, and that's where we ended up where we are today in that we have all these things that help people in these slivers, but never looking at the big picture. And a big challenge is, is, there's this mindset of well, we're just building for developers and they're right there. We can go talk to them. Um, so we like, we don't have to build it. Like we would build a product like the Netflix product itself where like Jim and Ryan, you were working, like there's like product management that thinks about like, it's very much prioritized. None of that happens. You form teams. It's like, Oh, we're just like building stuff for developers. Like, of course we know what's important because I'm a developer too, but like really thinking about like effective prioritization as Catherine talked about, and um, unfortunately, having to say no, because like this thing may help you, Jim, but like the bigger impact is other thing over here that's going to help all of, let's say, like studio get this done. And uh, and so our challenge going forward, by the way, is, is, is it hurts to say no, because again, we want to help you, is can we do it in such a fashion that it's a platform that you could then extend? So like we didn't leave you like uh, hanging. It's, we can't help you. We're going to prioritize this big thing. Maybe it's utilitarianism, but like you can extend our, our experiences so that you can still be productive, but like you're not waiting on us. Cause again, we're scaling, you know, we don't have unlimited resources. So it's, it's just like building product. Uh, and I think sometimes people forget that. So. I think one thing to add on to that too, Andy, is you get these requests because yeah, Jem, he's an engineer that might come talk to you and say, I need this, but it's also our job to understand his need or what the request is, not just to say like, hey, I need this button in the right-hand corner. Like that's going to solve my world and life and I'm going to be the most productive ever. It's like, what do you need that for? Like, what's that solving for you? And then also understanding maybe there's five other requests that are very similar. And so how do you think about that more holistically too? And then there's your impact too. It's like, you're not just solving one off, like every, you know, and just being a team where you're like, cool, got a request, I'll do it. Another request comes in and do it. It's more holistic and thinking strategically around that, which, which can be challenging. I think it, 
because you're having that customer who literally just asked you for it. Whereas on the product of like Netflix or Atlassian, you're not necessarily always hearing those like daily hallway conversation of like, Hey, Ryan, go fix this for me. Or it, it's just, it, that doesn't happen as much. So I think that that adds to the challenges too. Yeah. We want to build this really nicely paved banked on ramp onto a beautiful <laughs> highway that a lot of other people are on. We do not yes. want to build speed bumps, walls. We are that nicely banked on ramp, right? Where you can come up to speed and you can get, you can get where you need to go. The analogies, I, Catherine, I love it. You said this and I like, I want to highlight it again. One of the problems I imagine you having is if you, if you, Andy and Ryan, if you do your jobs correctly, people won't be sure you've done anything at all. Yes. And I imagine at a certain level, you have to justify your value to the company because you say like, oh, people are so much more productive, blah, 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 blah. But you talked earlier about the difficulty of measuring that. And then, but let's say you're somehow you get to hundred percent efficiency, you, you all are crushing it. Me as an engineer, I'm going to be like, what do they even do over there? Like, yeah. I don't have any problems being productive. And it's because you did all this work. So I, I imagine that's probably a product, uh, an issue with any productivity engineering organization is people don't understand what you did. And only, only when things are going wrong, then they start blaming you. Like, what are they even doing over there? Yeah, we have to be confident people. <laughs> I, sorry, I have one last question because it's just like such a fascinating topic. How do you balance that? You, you want to build tooling and establish processes to make people more productive. But how do you stay adaptable for the future as well? Because the tools you build at say 2000 engineers probably won't work at 20,000 engineers. And how does an organization do you stay on top of that and realize you're not being, you, you give people flexibility, but you want some standard and rigidity in the things you implement. For us, it's really like up-leveling the layers of abstraction. So when those changes do come, we can make them seamlessly, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're interfacing with this, uh, this, this, this level and, and we're being intentional and it's configurable and it's extensible and it's composable, right? So that we can sort of change the, the, the landing equipment while you're flying the plane. In fact, we've already learned that lesson. You know, you mentioned when you go for 2000 to 40,000, I think you said. So Netflix, I guess when I got to Netflix, there were fewer than 2000 employees. So I don't know how many of that was engineering. We'll say it was less than a thousand. I think engineering now is uh, more than 5,000 or 4,000, 5,000 ish. Yeah. I think Whole it's company. about that. Yeah. So we went from a thousand to 5,000. And um, uh, when, when we had, let's say in, in the, in the productivity engineering kind of things or the productivity suite that we built exposes still some of it's around today, all the low level, like primitives, infrastructure primitives. And um, it made that, let's say, generation of the company highly productive because they could like, you know, turn the knob and switch the switch, you know, whatever, the flip the switch. But it, it has created a challenge for us in that, like, we want to evolve the technology stack. And that requires a massive migration, like either hands on or like, you know, getting in people's, uh, you know, uh, basically queue, priority queue and being like, we need you to prioritize like getting off of this old thing. Um, this quarter because we want to kill it. That's a, that's really hard. And so to Catherine's point, it's spot on is we want to raise a level of attraction so that we can, uh, you know, change the engine on the plane while it's flying rather than asking them to land it, you know, deplane, change it around and get back on. Because that just doesn't happen 
you know, with, with businesses, right? I mean, Atlassian, Netflix, we're all moving at the speed of light, so to speak, or speed of innovation. Oh, uh, yeah. There we go. Whole <laughs> <laughs> Silicon Valley there. I love it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's just like, yeah, so, yeah, we want to we raise the level of abstraction, and that's going to take time. Uh, and, uh, and it's going to be, it's going to be painful, but, uh, it, we, we are confident it'll pay dividends, you know, on the, on the backside of that. Yeah. It's going to be good, painful. It's going to be like gym pain. You know, you go work out and you're like, yeah, I did something. We're moving mountains here. Great segue into our picks in each episode of the front end happy hour podcast. We'd love to share things that we've just found interesting and want to share with all of you. All right. Dem, you want to kick us off with your picks? Uh, sure. Today I have two picks. The first one is a TV show, not a new one. It is a Netflix original outside the United States. It is Star Trek Discovery. I had started it when it first came out because I am a Star Trek fan. And I, I was turned off by it because I was like, this isn't Star Trek. This isn't this isn't Picard and like these noble ideals he's espousing. This is totally different. This is more modern. And I recently came back to it with my wife because we ran out of TV shows to watch. We finished Shit's Creek and we finished Kim's Convenience. We, we, you know, we ran out of like things that draw us in or, and entertain us. So we started Star Trek Discovery and it's so good. It is so good. Like you have to really get into it and accept that it's not the next generation or any of the Star Treks that came before it. It's a different universe almost, but they really build a compelling story and compelling characters out of, uh, based on the Star Trek universe. And it, it's it's been really good so far. Uh, so I highly recommend it if you can watch it. Uh, my next pick is my Valley Silicon pick. That is the part of the show where I pick things that are ridiculous or too expensive and only exist because we here in Silicon Valley get paid too much money. <laughs> uh, so for this pick, uh, this one is called the Air Biotech 360. And as usual, I will uh, share, share the link with everybody and the, the link will be in the show notes. But I'll, I'll just read off the description of what this product does. <clears throat> Featuring an all-natural probiotic blend, this device will systematically diffuse millions of these bacteria-fighting probiotics into the air, landing on the surface bacteria reside on. Yeah. Yeah, and wow. So for this, I, one, I'm not sure there's any science behind that. Like, I don't think putting bacteria in the air cancels out the other bacteria. I, I don't I don't think bacteria work that way. I think you're actually just putting more bacteria in the air, which seems counterintuitive. But hey, if if this is something you want and believe is necessary, uh, you can get the Air Biotech 360 for the little price of $999. We'll just call it a thousand. So for a thousand dollars, you can have a device that sprays bacteria in the air that kills other bacteria. But of course, of course because this is Silicon Valley, there's a uh, subscription service because you know you can't sell something once, you have to sell it repeatedly. And of course, a refill on the um, probiotics are, of course, nine hundred dollars. So you know, for you're looking what? at thousand dollars a month. It, it Wait, like is this, this is this a juice serum for bacteria? That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what I have what to do. I mean, I've I've got hard kombucha hair. All I have to yeah. do is stick my nose in the in the yeah. bottle and just take a sniff is that well actually you want to spread it around because you know you want to kill out the other bacteria that so, so catherine yes. Yes. drink <laughs> it spit it everywhere that's exactly how you do it i just like there there's no white paper there's no science as far as i can tell behind this it just seems like an aerosol dispersion system and then they put a fancy label on it and charge people a lot of money 
Yeah. So, so yep. you know, that's why it's my Valley Silicon pick because I don't know why these things exist. I'm and sure everyone need, retweets about it, but they'll, whatever. They'll need a second version of it, Gem, that is Wi-Fi enabled so that you can control oh. it from anywhere. That will be your premium one that's probably 1500 maybe 2K because that, that Wi-Fi chip is a little more expensive. Would my KN95 filter out these probiotics? Or do I have to double mask? You're gonna have to double mask, but I think they probably also sell a mask for you for about $200. It, it will let in the good bacteria, but uh, not the bad bacteria. It's Wi-Fi enabled. It's Wi-Fi enabled, Bluetooth. So you know when you're wearing it properly or not. But those are my picks. All right, Stacy, what do you have for us? Can't follow that. I know. <laughs> Sorry. I've got two music picks. First one is a song called Colors. Um, two two uh, flavors of it. It's by uh, Tiga. One is Color So Dub and one is Color So Bright. It's just like remixes of the same thing. But um, Did you say Tiga? Yeah. I'm so excited to meet someone else who knows Tiga. Ooh, you're a fan. <laughs> nice. Yes. yes. I don't know much. Like I just heard these songs recently. So I'm like digging into the, oh, to the library. Incredible. Oh gosh, this is exciting. We got to talk more about this offline. Awesome. Good. Yeah, it, the these particular songs, um, I guess you must have like maybe lost someone uh, that was inspirational to him. So they're kind of uh, inspired by that. And then, yeah, just really dancey, fun, fun songs. And then the second is uh, 6,000 Feet by Bonobo and Totally Enormous Extinct Dinosaurs, which is one of my favorite named bands of uh, or groups. And it's just a kind of a nice chill track, ethereal, euphoric melodies, just kind of a good, a good coding, good coding song. Right on. Catherine, what do you have for us? I'm reading a book called Accelerate, and it's not just because uh, I'm uh, sucking up to my boss, <laughs> uh, but it is, it is legitimately about building and scaling high-performing technology organizations. And I picked this up a couple months ago, and, and it's aptly timed for the conversation today and for anybody who's doing productivity. Um, and this is, uh, it, it's been a good read so far and it's all backed in data and actual science, which I like. Um, so that's, I, I have two picks actually, because this one's fun, but not fun. And the other one, uh, I just downloaded Lolita by Nabokov on my audio book player. I'm trying to make my way through the classics. And I know this one is a little bit controversial, um, but I listened to it while I raged it and it is uh, recorded by Jeremy Irons. And so it is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. All right, Andy, what do you have for us? So uh, I'm getting through, I'm almost done with a book called uh, Team of Rivals. And uh, it's probably one of the best books I've read uh, in a long time. And it's about um, Abraham Lincoln's cabinet and how he went about uh, picking the cabinet members and uh, it's a great, uh, you know, again, uh, I, I'm a, I shouldn't say again, but I am a history buff. And growing up, you always learn kind of one side of history. But uh, as I've, you know, uh, on my journey as an adult, I'm, I'm learning more and more about history and seeing different sides of it. But this is a, a really interesting book in terms of how, how uh, actually a, of a, a good person uh, when it came to leadership, Abraham Lincoln uh, was in that he, uh, his cabinet was full of people that uh, actively did not like him. And that's how he staffed his team. And at Netflix, we talk about like building dream teams and how like additivity, what we're looking for in a team. And uh, there's a lot of lessons from how he looked at his team and was willing to uh, bring people on that uh, openly uh, didn't like him. And 
uh, he was able to, uh, through his, uh, you know, uh, relationship building, get all of them to value him as a leader and uh, ultimately became friends uh, or, you know, respected colleagues with all these people. Very interesting book. And then one plug for a Netflix show that uh, we just got through two seasons. It's called Undercover. And it's a uh, it's a uh, uh, produced in Belgium, so I had to watch it. It's it's spoken in Flemish. I don't speak Flemish, uh, so I had to watch it with subtitles. Really, really good story. And uh, it's uh, the first season's based on a, uh, a true story of like an undercover operation to bust a drug dealer uh, based out of Belgium. Really good story. Yeah, so it's two seasons. Really enjoyed it, uh, and it's kind of got me on a kick watching a lot of. Uh, uh, foreign shows because it tur- you know, turns out they're really really good <laughs> all right well and i have two picks as well i feel like this one is a nod for stacy a bit um, and also for productivity in general gem and i the other day made a uh, netflix engineering spotify playlist and i mean i think some of the songs on there are probably inspired in some way by Stacy anyways. So (laughs) I I feel like you've inspired Gemini that way. So we quickly just threw this together the other day and we tweeted it out and shared that. So I'll I'll put that in the show notes. And then another one actually that I'm kind of playing off of a pick from Gems a while ago. Gem, the device you bought, like the air device that checks your air quality. Yeah, aware. Aware, thank you. I bought one as well. And then so it got me down this whole kick of monitoring my air in like the office, especially with the door closed and seeing the more I talk in meetings all day, the air quality drops and plummets with like CO2, obviously in the air. And so I went down this like rabbit hole of researching plants and things to improve the air quality. And I came across a plant which is very good for air quality. It is, and it's the name is amazing. It's the mother-in-law tongue plant. It's just a really cool plant. It doesn't take a lot of work to manage it either. Like I think you have to water it every two to three weeks. Unlike your That's mother-in-law. Mo- yeah, unlike my mother-in-law, exactly. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast. But yes, it was a very cool plant. Looks good too, but it is supposed to help with your air quality. So I thought that was a good add-on to if you got uh, the aware that Jem suggested a few episodes ago. That's also the snake plant. It is also I mean, called that. I, I went with the, like, there's the two names, but I was like, kind of like mother-in-law tongue. It sounds pretty interesting. So that's awesome. I, I really think people should get air quality monitors. Like I know, you know, I'm anti-smart home all around, but for, for instance, now my window's closed and my door's closed because we're doing a podcast. The CO2 levels in my high are like, in my office are extremely high right now. And I can like feel really it. bad right now. Yeah. Yeah, if you've been talking for an hour, you're just putting out a ton of CO2. It's and it messes with your cognitive load. So speaking of productivity, this will yeah. help. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That that's a, that's a good added one. Plants, air quality, it will make you more productive. All right. Well, before we end the episode, I want to thank Andy and Catherine. Thanks so much for joining us and sharing us full of knowledge. It was a pleasure having you both. Where can people get in touch with you? Thank you. Uh, you can get in touch with me uh, on Twitter. I'm a Glover. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. I would like to say that I'm on Twitter, but I'm not really on Twitter. I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I have three posts since I signed up, so it might not get a lot of traction. But you can try uh, KEJ Kohler, or at KEJ Kohler is my handle. And I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn, where all those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. Old people Facebook. Feel free. Find me there. (laughs) The Facebook. The Facebook. Yes. (laughs) 
Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find Front End Happy Hour at frontendhappyhour.com. Subscribe to us on whatever you really like to listen to podcasts on. And you can follow us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Any last words? Automate. 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 Automate all the things. Cheers. (laughs)